This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. This month, we're talking about the ins and outs of recovery. We've seen how rehab centers play a role in helping people sustaining sobriety from hang-ups, habits, and addictions. Today, we're going to speak to Esti DeVette from Heskes King Treatment Center, and she is the Youth Program Director. Very welcome with us, Esti. Yes, hi, good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be chatting with you guys. Yeah, thank you, Esti, once again. Um, so the Heskes King uh, uh, Center, Treatment Center, I love that name, Treatment Center, and uh, it, it, it moves away from the stereotype of rehab. But it's been in operation for, uh, I read, 68 years uh, under the uh, administration of the Salvation Army. Um, You know, when we attended one of your Christmas uh, events before lockdown, I must say, we witnessed many men and women celebrating many years of freedom from their addiction. Um, this is really a good work that really needs to continue. And uh, you are the director of the youth program. So wh- what are the age, you know, when we talk about youth, a person thinks of very young children. Um, what are the ages of the youth that, that come to the center? All right. So our program facilitates young men between the ages of 16 and 20 years old. Um, they are admitted to us for a seven-week inpatient treatment program um, where they come in and they heal and we, we treat them for the substance that they have a problem with. Mm. So, Esti, I'm curious, why only till 20? It's very interesting because it's really young. You know, I would think youth would go up to 25 or whatever. So is there a reason why you have a cutoff at 20? All right, so... As you mentioned before, I am the the program manager for the youth program. So mm. we actually run two programs here at the oh, right, Treatment right. Center. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we have our youth program, which is the 16 to 20 year old. Mm-hmm. And then we have a adult program, which runs anyone from the ages of 21 up until whatever age. We've had people here in the deep 60s, 80s. So we facilitate both programs. So the youth program is a seven-week program and our adult program runs for three months. Mm, okay, mm, that mm, makes mm. A, a lot of sense. So your your youth program is then shorter because obviously people haven't been into the issue for that long. So they might be able to get out of it sooner. Is, um, am I right when, I'm, when I say that? So it's mainly attributed to our subsidy that is by... Um, paid over by the Department of Social Development. So they have looked at our programs and they see where it is sustainable. So the reason why the youth program is a little bit shorter is because some of the youth needs to get back to school. And you don't want to keep Mm. youth from school for a longer period than seven weeks. So the the actual thing is the longer you can stay in the treatment program, the better your chances are from relapsing. But that is what has been estimated oh, by the Department I understand. Yeah, it's a practical, logistical issue. Mm, 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 mm. Yes. So um, you've, you've mentioned to us how long the programs are and, and so forth. So there are... Um, People coming into the center, for, for what reasons are they coming into the center, the youth and, and in any of the others? All right, so the main reasons why um, youth especially um, 
come for treatment is one, because they have identified that they have a need to be treated for a substance use disorder or addiction or whatever you want to call it. But a lot of the times that is just a symptom of a main problem. Mm. So some of these problems include stuff like gangsterism, peer pressure, leaving school in an early age, broken family relationships, mm. et cetera, et cetera. So these are all things at the end of the day, which is um, societal issues mm. that have an impact on the substance abuse or the reason why they will start using substances. Yeah, so the center is specifically focused on uh, substances and substance addiction. Um, are there some other things that start to surface as you are busy treating the, uh, these young people? You've talked about the social challenges that they have. Uh, are there other things that start popping up? You mean other addictions like process addiction? Yeah, process addictions yes. and stuff. Um, mm. Especially with the young people of today, um, we see that sometimes there are a lot of process addictions that do slip in, mm. especially the youth who are quite addicted to technologies, stuff like cell phones, internet, online gaming, computer games in general. So we often see um, those things creep up as well. And then also other stuff, especially the, the, the youth or the patients who are involved with gangsterism, there's a lot of processes, addictions that is also addicted to some sort of gambling. You also get mm. stuff like pornography and sex addiction. So some of that pop up, not as frequently with the youth, but it is something that we sometimes see is a co, um, co, co, comorbid, almost mm. like a, a, mm. a double addiction that mm. you see mm. these people come in. So the one feeds off so it seems to me that the that's some of the com commonalities uh, amongst the youth people and you have quite a, a geographic or shall I say um, a variety of people coming from different communities uh, what is the demographics of of the the folks that come to you all right, so here at Heskis King Treatment Center, we are basically delivering services to anybody who lives in the Western Cape. Mm. So we have clients all the way from Nizana up until past the West Coast. So we see a, a, a huge variety of urban, semi-rural, semi-urban, rural areas coming in. So we have a, re a huge scope and variety of clients or patients coming in for treatment. So... Mm. We get to see almost every side of the coin. Mm -hmm. yeah, and and um, when the youth come in, I know we've touched a little bit on that, but mm -hmm. is there a common challenge that bring these youth uh, to uh, the rehab center or bring them to the position that they are? What is the commonality, if, you, if we could find one? Um, it's very it's very strange to say because a lot of our youth are referred from different sources. So mm -hmm. a lot of them will either come from court referral, so it's a diversion that they were probably involved with either a crime or something like that. So they are being diverted for, for, for treatment. Some of them need to finish the treatment program so they can return to school. Some of them are just parents who are fed up, who need, who's at their wit's end, who need their children to come in. And some of them are just at that point where they just realize they need help themselves. Mm. So it all comes together at, the, at, the, at our assessment when we realize that very often it is because there's a, 
a broken family unit or it's because there's a lack of of um, supervision or it's peer pressure or it's gangsterism. So usually one of these aspects do pop up mm. when they come for treatment. Um, one of the things that I experienced in my own process addiction is an absent father. Um, my father was an alcoholic. He was in the house, but he was absent. Um, is that perhaps one of the commonalities about the fathers that are in or not in the home? Well, it is it is very common because a lot of our boys coming in, and that's why they go for the gangsterism aspect, because mm. at the end of the day, they all want to belong somewhere and mm. find a place of, um, this is where I need to be. And because they often don't have that father figure in the house, they often find that father figure in the gang, mm. which isn't a, a really a positive role model, but it's still a role model that they cling to. Mm. So yes, it is a strong um, correlation and com- um, something that pops up mm. in the youth. Mm. Esti, so what are the three primary criteria for admission to the centre? Okay, so the three main criteria for his cooking is one, they first of all had to have a primary diagnosis of alcohol and drug addiction. So meaning that it has to be their main problem if they want to come for treatment mm. so that they can get rid of their addiction. The second criteria is obviously a physical and a psychological ability to undergo treatment for the set duration of the program. So that just means while they're at the program, they will have to be physically able to take part in the program as well as psychological. So it means that they, if the, if the main issue is say, for instance, depression, that they first need to have that settled so they have to go to a psychiatrist, get mm. the antidepressants, mm. get stable on them, and then come back to us, and then we'll be able to help with the addiction side mm. of the mm-hmm. diagnosis. Mm. So that's just what that criteria is for. And then obviously the last one, which isn't the only criteria that we have, but the, the other one we have is a willingness to give the principles of the program, which is honesty, responsibility, and willingness to change a chance. Mm. Because at the end of the day, if they don't want to change, there's nothing that they can really do for them. Yeah, mm. and I think that's so important also for for parents and loved ones to hear. Because I think so often we want to have people admit it, but if they're not really and honestly willing um, to be uh, to to do that, to try and to say that I need help, and they're not honest and vulnerable, it can they cannot get the help they need. Mm. Yeah, and at the end of the day, they only fool themselves. We've seen it multiple times where people will come in, they're not yet motivated, they may be only motivated because they don't want to end up in a jail cell or something like that. So we often see that there isn't the authenticity of they want to change. Mm. So very often, and especially with the youth as well, sometimes they will come in and they still have that whole attitude of, I'm young, it's not a problem yet. Mm. I can still control my addiction. I'm just here because my mom wants me to be here. Mm. My school wants me to be here. And then it's not that genuineness or the honesty that we require. Mm. So at the end of the day, they just fool themselves and then they relapse mm. as soon as they go home. But also to say is we very, very often have success where we get through to these kids where they can actually acknowledge that they have a problem Mm -hmm. and that we can help them achieve their sobriety. Okay, Esti, we'll talk more after this break. Um, Very interesting what you're saying. I want to get back to a point that you've just mentioned. So, listeners, um, I want to 
point you to our first program this month because this whole week we're talking, oh, sorry, the whole month we're talking about recovery in every single program. We have five Tuesdays. And I want to invite you, if you have not listened to the other programs, to go back to Cape Pulpit and get to the podcast of Into Me See. The first program, we specifically spoke about what Esti had mentioned just before the break. Um, there's a pre-contemplate, the different stages of addiction. Where of, there's of recovery. Of, of recovery, sorry. Where there's a pre-contemplation stage and a contemplation stage and a preparation stage. And, and so the first program will help you to see maybe where your loved one is in this process. Because there's only some things that you can do when they, especially where a family and friends can come in. Uh, with intervention in the contemplation stage when you can start helping them to say, to see what you see um, and help them to, to get ready for the preparation stage to get into the action, action stage of actually getting admitted mm. and getting ready to, to seriously work um, at their issue. Mm. Frederick, you wanted to mention something. Yeah, I, I think just on that willingness, um, I, was, I had some thoughts in mind as well. Um, when entering a program, especially if you are sent there, it's very easy to say, I am willing, I'm honest, uh, I'll take responsibility. But as soon as a program starts and you uh, they start realizing, but this is work, it is not just sitting around and things start changing. So um, in your experience, what, what have been the main struggles with regards to these three points, honesty, responsible, and willing to change? What is their greatest challenge with regard? All right. So I assume as they usually come in, because usually when they, when the, especially the youth, when they come into the, our treatment center, they are very often still under the influence. So within a day or two, they realize, oh, my goodness, where am I? And then uh, that's usually when it kicks in, and that's usually when they sit with the social worker, um, which they are allocated to, and then we'll have to basically do a, almost a reassessment session, orientation session, where we explain to them, this is the program, this is how the program works, and while they're in the program, they have certain responsibilities. So they learn how to take responsibility for their own lives and that they also have to, according to the 12 steps, have to first acknowledge that they have a problem and mm. this is usually also where their willingness to change kicks in. Mm. So usually it takes them up to about a week to fully realize where they are and what they are actually starting that mm. this exciting journey of sobriety. Yeah, so we in our program we we talk about and we deal with uh, reality, restoration, redemption in the face of addiction, and uh, that reality is often the most difficult one to see. This is where I really am in my life. My life is broken and it's unmanageable. Now there may be some of the young people and actually even just the adults that get to a point where they think uh, this is too difficult to do. What happens uh, to those type of, of, of people or clients or, or, or patients because uh, Hesker King is not a, is not a jail and you, you cannot lock them up. Um, you cannot keep them there against their will. Yeah. Yeah, so we very often explain to them on the assessment day that Hesker King isn't a jail. So if you ever get to see our beautiful grounds, you'll see that we mainly have just a a short fence around the perimeter to just 
stay where we are, and we mainly lock our gates just to prevent people from coming in to harass the, the patients. So we are, we run a fully, um, it's almost where people have to choose that they have to be here. So mm-hmm. if they don't want to be here at the end of the day, we are not going to force that person. But it also means that we're not just going to let you go through the gates when you decide you don't want to be here. There's certain processes that we will follow. So as I mentioned before, every patient gets allocated a social worker. So that that social worker will then sit with the client or the patient and discuss why the patient doesn't want to be here anymore, what's the reason. And only if it's the last thing, they will sign then a refusal of treatment form and then we will make arrangements or help them or facilitate them so that they can leave. But usually it's not encouraged. We'll try everything that we can to keep them here to say that it's just a craving, it's just something that will pass, because usually that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, Esti, thank you for that. Um, in what way is Jesus part of your program? Is it a Christ-centered program? Yes, because we are under the, the banner of the Salvation Army, um, Bible study and pastoral sessions is very important for our treatment program. So it is part of our weekly program that they will get Bible study classes. We start every day with our devotions and then each patient is also allocated to a pastoral counselor that would be for them to assist them if they have any spiritual needs. So it's a very important aspect of our treatment program. Uh, but Esther, I think it's a very, very important uh, what you are saying there, but that does not exclude somebody that is, before, for example, not a believer in Jesus. Um, so you could have somebody from any faith there, um, how are they accommodated or fitted into the program? So, yeah, we we don't have an exclusion policy on any religions like that. So we are open our doors and our arms to anybody from any faith or any religion, mm. and we will try to accommodate them as far as we can. But we also then expect them to respect the Christian faith. So they will also have to take part in daily devotions, be there for the pastoral sessions, but we will also allow them to then take part in their own faith when they want to in their Mm. own time. Mm. Okay, Esti, just short because we need to start wrapping up now, but what tools are you given to the participants, what are given to them to use when they return to their communities and environments that have not changed while they have been gone? Okay, so during the, the, the program, they get different facilitators to come and present different lectures, which include time management, um, how to prevent peer pressure, and all of those things. So in the in the lectures, as well as in the individual sessions with their social workers, certain needs will be uh, addressed, and all of those things will then be incorporated into almost like a program that we will also send them home with. So we'll also do a, a family reunification session with the family, where it's an individual session with the family, where it's almost a mediation session, where we will send them home, and then we'll also encourage them to take part in any aftercare services that is provided, including support groups such as NAAA and also organizations like the Christian Action for Dependence or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we do encourage them to go for 
for aftercare. Yeah, very, very important. I think this is very important that they take responsibility for their own journey. And this is nothing somebody can enforce on them. They need to take responsibility. And that takes us back to the third criteria. And eventually, unfortunately, we've got to get to the end of our program today. So, Esti, thank you very much for sharing about what's happening at Heska King at the Salvation Army Center. And um, who knows, maybe we will speak again in the future. Um, so, listeners, uh, if you missed of our previous pro- broadcasts, uh, you're welcome to go to kpulpit.co.za, look for the podcasts, and be able to listen to any of our previous recordings. Um, Have a blessed week, and thank you for joining us. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.